You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. A few years ago, Florida elected Aramis Ayala to be the state attorney for the Orlando area. And she is one of 20 state's attorneys who were elected to four-year terms. And in her role, she functions as the chief prosecutor and lawyer for her assigned district. And a few months after her election, uh, Ms. Ayala was driving in Orlando, and she's pulled over by two police officers. And they approach her vehicle as the people seemingly in power of the situation. They have questions and they want answers because they ran her tags and to their surprise, no information came back to them. And so that didn't sit well for the officers and they decided to pull her over to get the answers that they want. Little did they know that they were dealing with a greater power. She turned out to be more than the officers had bargained for in the initial stop. And in this particular situation, the illusion of power meets actual power. Because she begins to ask them, what is your warrant for pulling me over? And they're like, abba-da-abba-da-abba-da-abba-da. They have no warrant. They have no grounds. And then she just does this simple move. I'm going to need your cards. And she has this little smile on her face because she knows. They stopped her to check up on her. But now she's going to check up on them. Essentially, what she did is she dropped the Uno reverse card on them. And there was a power flip. Now, in our text for today, there are two groups of people that are presented to us. You have the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees, the social powers in this context. And then you have the apostles. And the social powers are greatly annoyed because the apostles are proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. A message that is outside the boundaries of their orthodoxy. They have questions and they want answers. And they run the apostles' license through their computer, but it doesn't return any information because these apostles are ordinary, uneducated men. And yet... They had undeniably performed a miraculous healing on a lame man. But little did these social powers know that when they pulled over the apostles, they were dealing with a greater power. The apostles are more than the social powers bargained for in their traffic stop. And in this situation, the illusion of power meets true power. And by the end of the encounter, the apostles hit them with the Uno reverse card. And there's a power flip. In our modern culture, the church faces social powers that are greatly annoyed by our faith because it lies outside of modern cultural orthodoxies. And many Christians today feel a sense of helplessness and hopelessness, like like we're at a hopeless disadvantage in the face of larger social powers. But we have an Uno reverse card in our hands. We have access to the kind of power 
that allows us to get off of our heels and to enjoy the kind of missionary confidence that we witness in this text for today. But we must consider how we access our power and how we express our power. Those are our two points for this morning, briefly. How we access our power and how we express our power. So let's look at the first point. How we access our power. The apostles and the early church demonstrated God's healing power. They declared God's fulfilled promise. And it was recognized that they had been with Jesus. They did the work of love with humility. They spoke the words of life with authority. And it was recognized that they had been with Jesus. They didn't receive theological degrees, but they had received a love beyond degree. And it was recognized that they had been with Jesus. The early church was fruitful and they had a transformative effect in the world because their lives and their attitudes and their commitments and their message and their methods and their resilience could all be traced back to their union and communion with the Lord. They were recognized by their resemblance to Jesus because they were living in vital communion with Jesus. They were, quite frankly, unimpressive by worldly standards. These were ordinary people. I love how Dr. Luke stresses how they read to the world. They hadn't gone to an Ivy League school. They didn't have the right kinds of mentors in their lives that were speaking on their behalf out in the, in the culture. They didn't have powerful positions on the hill. They were ordinary, what we might consider today, working poor, blue-collar type of folk. That's who Jesus invited into the work. They were ordinary people, but they had an extraordinary message and an extraordinary ethic that grew from their communion with the Lord. And you know, if you think about it, our neighbors can look at some Christians and they can recognize that they've been with Tucker Carlson. And our neighbors can look at other Christians and they can recognize that they've been with Rachel Maddow. But can they look at the Christian church and recognize that we've been with Jesus? This matters deeply because communion with the Lord is how we access our power. The true power of the church has never been of this world. And if you look back through church history, every time the church tried to scratch and claw to get into the center of the power structure of the age, that's the beginning of the end of mission. That's when they get off track and forget who they are and what they're supposed to be about. What we see all through the history of the church is when mission is coming from the margins that mission is powerful. It's backed by heaven's authority. And that's what we see working out in this passage. The true power of this church has never been of the world. And when we try to acquire and work out of this worldly power, then our power is an illusion and our mission falls into confusion. 
When I talk about accessing our power, I'm not trying to talk about the ways that we can get into the places of cultural influence so then we can begin to throw our weight around. That's not what I'm talking about. In this text, the power of the church is their union and communion with the Lord God Almighty. This is all the power that they needed. And you know what? It's beautiful and amazing. If by God's grace, he puts you in a position where you have influence and you have opportunities, but that is not your power. True power comes in that communion. When I think about how the church often reads today, uh, especially urban city churches like ours, it reminds me of the story of Farmer Yates. Farmer Yates uh, in Texas in the early 20th century was struggling. His farm was struggling. He was putting in work. He was laboring, but he was bankrupt. And he was trying to figure out some way to turn the farm around. And it just looked like he was coming to the edge. The precipice was drawing near. But there was a day where some developers showed up at Farmer Yates's farm and they asked him, can we test your land for oil? Farmer Yates said, why not? I mean, sure, go for it. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm on my last string of hope. And when they drilled, they found the largest oil deposit in the state of Texas. You see, Farmer Yates was living in poverty, but he didn't realize all the while that he was rich. He simply needed to dig. And what I'm saying to you is that we are rich as believers. Through faith in Christ, we are rich, but we need to dig into communion with the Lord in order to understand our true wealth, in order to understand that we have the power of his love that compels us to serve and bless our neighbors. We have the power of his grace that overwhelms our selfishness and our greed. We have the power of his resurrection that revives virtue and ethical consistency in our lives. We have the power of his presence that relieves our fears and our insecurities. Listen, ships do not sink because of the water around them. Ships only sink if the water gets inside of them. And all the waters in all of the seas cannot sink a ship unless they get inside of it. And there may be stormy waves that are crashing around your life right now. You may be threatened by a sea of people trying to oppose you and shame you for your faith in Christ. But none of these can sink your ship unless they get inside of you. Communion with the Lord makes you waterproof and buoyant, no matter how much water there is out there. Communion keeps the waters from getting inside and sinking you. Because when you're near to Christ, when you commune with the Lord, you are reminded of the central realities upon which the entire cosmos has been constructed. You're reminded of just who it is that you are in vital communion with. You know, I love it like in the prophets, in Job. I don't know if you remember at the, at the end of the book of Job, my man was going through some hard things. And as he continued to go through hard things, 
He started to get a bit frustrated. And then the Lord kind of shows up because it's time to have a conversation with Job. And he begins to ask Job a series of questions. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Where were you when I flung the stars into the sky? Where were you? And Job is just sitting there like, and you know what Job says at the end? He said, I had heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now I know. Many of us need to go from the hearing of the ear to knowing, and that comes through communion. That's what roots you. That's what stabilizes you so that you can do the work. And when you commune with the Lord, you also learn how to express our power, which brings us to our final point, how we express our power. His text reminds us of how we are to express our power as God's people. When we observe how the world expresses power, how, how power is expressed in our culture, we notice some patterns, don't we? Power is expressed for selfish ends to get our own way. Power is expressed to manipulate and control other people. Power is used to punish our enemies. But the whole reason why the apostles are in this position in the first place is because they use their power to minister healing and to minister the word to their neighbors. This is a type of spiritual cause and effect. They express their power in these specific ways because their Lord with whom they communed expressed his power in this very way. Jesus used his power to heal the wounded. Jesus used his power to confront the corrupt social powers of his day, not to collude with them. Jesus used his power to liberate captives. Jesus used his power not to punish his enemies, but to bless them. When you look at the life of Christ, you see an important lesson. And I want you to remember this. Our culture is all about upward mobility. Jumping from one job to the next slightly better job or to a little bit more money job. It's upward mobility, getting a little bit more education, getting an extra degree so that you can ascend. But if you look at the logic of Scripture and the life of Christ, you see that Jesus is about downward mobility. Putting himself in the position of a servant and submitting to the point of death, even death on a cross, Philippians 2. But because he humbled himself, that's, that's when the Lord exalted him. You see, he used his power in a way that is very counter to the way that power is acquired and used in this world. And I think you can make the case that one of the most devastating effects that has resulted in, an, in, in negatively affected our mission in this country is Christians who have forgotten this message. Christians who have tried to express God's power for worldly purposes under the guise of evangelism, under the guise of making the name of Jesus great. You don't make the name of Jesus great when everything in your life runs counter to his life and witness and message. When the gospel says the way up is down and you are determined to just ride high and put yourself in the driver's seat. 
It's an important word for us to consider. Jesus took the low place. And this is the exact reason why we see this pattern playing out with his disciples. As they communed with the Lord through the means of grace, the word, prayer, and sacraments. Come on, somebody. They were drawn into his heart, and his heart was cloned in them. Do you see that? When they were drawn into the heart of Christ, his heart then was cloned in them. Communion with Christ gave them clarity about the truth of the world and freedom from the illusions and the mythologies of their culture. Never forget the reality that everyone has a story. And you could say that, you know what? If you watch the Super Bowl this evening, you know, there's this little game going on. I'm here for the chicken wings. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. If you watch the Super Bowl tonight, I want you to pay attention to the halftime show and watch throughout. There are going to be people with commercials that are trying to get you to buy stuff. But you know how they do it? Stories. Everyone is trying to spin a story to you. But none of the mythologies of our culture are big enough to live into. There is one story that's grand enough for you to live into in such a way that it's good for your neighbors and it blesses the people around you and it rightly orients you in this life. And that's the story of God. The story of how you were made in love for love. How you forsook that love and departed from that love. But that love would not let you go. That love was so extraordinary and extreme. They would bridge the gap from heaven to earth. The gap from the land of the living to the land of the dead. The land of the righteous to the unrighteous. He would bridge that gap and pursue us in love so that he could bring us back home to his love and then renew us by his love so that we become a community of love that serves in love, that is resilient through love. That's what the world needs. Jesus said it before the Beatles. Y'all didn't know. I knew about the Beatles. I try to be eclectic. <laughs> through communion, these disciples and apostles refused to live in the smaller fantasy narratives, and that's what they are, fantasy narratives. Fantasy narratives because they knew their place in the larger story of God. Here's my question for you. Do you know your place in the larger story of God? You know, theologically and biblically speaking, a lot of people try to create this wide gap between the first century church and the contemporary church and say, yeah, well, of course they did all that. That, that was then, but we're, in a, we're now. I want you to understand, we are in the same what is known as redemptive historical epoch as the apostles. Which means we're in the same larger chapter of the story as this church. We're awaiting the consummation. We're awaiting the return of Christ. We're awaiting the second advent where he comes and makes all things new and liberates this world from the curse in every corner of the creation. We're waiting for that, but we're in the same chapter as them. So that means 
that we have access to the same power. We could see the same kinds of beautiful things developing in our community as they saw. I think there's something really beautiful going on here. And it's powerful. Think about this. You have to remember that when the apostles are brought before the Sanhedrin and the social powers of their day, in this moment, they're in the same place and dealing with the same people that they watched falsely accuse, condemn, and crucify Jesus. This is the same place and the same people. That's spooky. I don't know about you, but that would, have, that would have been unnerving to me. But look at how they handle it. They see it as an exact expression of the fact that they were walking in their calling and continuing the ministry of Jesus. They didn't feel like they should be exempt from the very troubles that Jesus himself experienced. They knew that they weren't greater than their master, but they had possession of his truth through communion with him. And they had a resolve, a buoyancy, a resilience that could not be squashed or scared out of them because they had been with Jesus. You know, there are people when you when you spend time around them, you feel stronger. People that you spend time around them, you just notice you feel some more joy. Well, think about that times a billion. And that's what it's like living in communion, walking in communion with Jesus. You feel his strength. You feel his nearness. You feel his care when you're going through. You feel his compassion and his concern. And it's, it's hard to be communing with him and basking in those realities and to not see it spill over your life to affect the people around you. That's the key. It's communion. They enjoyed being in the presence of Christ. They beheld, appreciated, and were strengthened by the manifold excellencies of Christ simply because they sought his face. That's how the psalmist puts it. Your face will I seek, O Lord. Do you seek his face? I love, one of the things I love about our theological heritage as Presbyterians is the fact that our spirituality is guided by our engagement with the ordinary means of grace, not extraordinary conferences. Yeah? Not extraordinary mountaintop experiences that leave you incapable of living life in the valleys. <laughs> Nah, the ordinary means of grace, engaging with the word, reading God's word, not just for the sake of knowing the scriptures and knowing theology, but for the purposes of formation and communion, engaging the word, prayer, cultivating a dependent spirit that was reliant on the Lord. The Lord loves when we come to him with our nothing because that's when he pours out his everything. When you come with empty hands, he loves to fill those hands. When you come with humility and humbling yourself, that's, he loves to exalt you. God loves that. And you can have a running conversation with the Lord. You can throw up prayers through the day. Just pause. Lord, I need you now. I'm feeling quite independent at the moment, and I know my heart needs to be reminded that I am reliant upon you. Lord, I'm feeling fearful and anxious right now. Would you just meet me right now? Calm my heart. 
Prayer is not measured in length. It's measured in weight. Weighty prayers that call on the Lord for his power, that find him to be a present help in the time of trouble. And the one who keeps your mind right and your vision clear in the good times. Being reminded that you, we, you, we don't add on to the, the five major solas of the Reformation. Scripture alone, faith alone, through Christ alone, grace alone, to the glory of God alone. We don't add sola bootstrapper <laughs> by bootstraps alone, okay? That's not in our mix. What do you have that you did not receive? And how many doors did the Lord open for you that never would have opened if he hadn't been active on your behalf? There are no self-made people. Do you know that before we get out the door in the morning, we have depended upon half of the planet? You're laying on a mattress that was probably made in Thailand. You swing off a cover that was made in China. Put your feet in the slippers that were made in Taiwan. You get up, you brush your teeth with a toothbrush that was made in Germany and toothpaste that was made somewhere else. And it, I didn't have one for that. Uh, you, get, you get to the coffee maker and you drink Colombian coffee with a, with a coffee maker that was made in America, and then you had a nerve to talk about how you independent. That's a fantasy. We like to think that we're independent because it, it makes us feel good. It, it puffs up our ego. But there is not a person in this place that is not heavily dependent upon the rest of the world. And if we're dependent on the rest of the world, how much more dependent are we on the Lord? To, to walk through this life under the delusion that you are a self-made person and you are capable of living the life of flourishing all by your lonesome is a delusion. It's a delusion. And it puts you through unnecessary heartache and stress and anxiety. Because if you have to bear the weight of constructing your own life and your own destiny and making your own way, it's simultaneously liberating and terrifying. Because you have to bear it up. You have to carry it. And that weight will crush you. It just will. And that's why we are one of the most heavily medicated generations that it ever has been. The anxiety. And that, no shame to anyone who's taken meds to try and get your mental health together. Thank God that these resources are available. But I'm saying it's symptomatic of a broader cultural phenomenon. The anxious lives that we live. These disciples drew so much from communion with the Lord. And this is why they obeyed God rather than man and could not help speaking about what they had seen and heard. Let me close with this. Chadwick Bozeman gave Howard University's uh, graduation commencement speech a few years ago. And one of the things he said to the graduating class is he said, when someone blocks the door that you're called to walk through, God picks them up and sets them aside so that you can walk through it. And this is exactly what our text has shown us. The authorities of the day tried to block Jesus' mission to the world. They tried to block him with their slander and their lies. They tried to block him with their political maneuvering. They tried to block him with death. But God, by the power of his mighty hand, picks them up. And sets them aside. He rolls the stone away. And the resurrected Jesus overcomes death. And not only does he overcome death himself. He becomes the way through death for all those who trust in his name. 
And so now those same authorities are trying to block the news of this resurrection by silencing the apostles. And we face variations of the same kind of opposition. But communion with the Lord is our uno reverse card in this power dynamic. Isn't it something when the social powers of the day roar and God's people stand in the face of that resilient, joyful, and determined to even do good to those who would do us harm and do us wrong? That's the power of the gospel. Not dominating the culture by getting into positions of influence. It is profoundly beautifying the culture by the way we spread the love and the service and the kindness and the compassion and the mercy of Christ through our life together. That's, that's power. Anyone can destroy. You've heard it said, right? It could take you decades to build a thing and a day to tear it down. It's easy to destroy. Real power is communicated in the constructive work. Work that constructs, reconstructs lives. Work that reconstructs churches. Life that reconstructs communities. Addressing the social injustices through love. Giving the word of healing to the people around us and performing the acts of healing for the people around us. When we become light, that's when we're real salt and light. And that's beautiful. We may face variations of the same opposition that Jesus and the apostles faced. And just to be honest, in America, a lot of it is low-grade just being shamed or being made to feel like you're crazy. But communion with the Lord is our reverse uno card. We simply need to walk in our calling and leave our opposition to the Lord. Because you know what Jesus shows us? We don't fight our enemies. We love them. There's a big difference. That's why war is not the most helpful metaphor for what we're trying to do in the culture. It's not war. It's love. We seek their healing. We minister the hope of the gospel. The question that will tell the tale of our witness in this city, the most important question for us in this moment and going forward is this. Will our neighbors recognize us as a people that has been with Jesus? If our neighbors recognize in our goodness and generosity and care that we have been with Jesus, then they might actually want to be with Jesus too. Do you see how that works? This power is not coercive. It's not manipulative, but it is compelling. And that's what we long for. So as a practical application, and very simple and clear, straightforward, engage the means of grace, the word, prayer, and the sacraments. The sacraments are not magic. They're a promise and a seal that Jesus has given us, that when we come in faith, he gives us just the grace we need. How? Through communion. We commune with Christ by his spirit at the table. And that is our true power. So let's pray that the Lord will draw us nearer to his heart and that the reflex of our souls will be to delight in his presence, to bless his name, and to receive his rest and his refreshment so that we can bear witness 
to the fact that there is no other name under heaven by which people can be saved. Why? Here's why. Because he is the God-man, utterly unique. Sin came into the world through a man, and it was appropriate that righteousness and life would come into the world through a man. And the reason why a God-man was necessary for the salvation of humanity is because with his humanity, he was able to submit to death. And in his divinity, he's able to conquer it. Because the wages of sin is death. That's the penalty that hangs over us. But that's why we say thank God for Jesus Christ, because he was able to endure the penalty for us and to exhaust it. And now he ever lives to intercede for us. That's good news. And we ought to lean into that and celebrate it. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.